Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, the film show where we do all that usual film discussion and review stuff, then pitch our own ideas for the sequel. In last week's episode, we covered the original 1968 Planet of the Apes movie and its four sequels. If you haven't heard that one yet, go and listen to it right now for some context, then come back to this episode for our thoughts on this new series that follows Caesar, comprised of Rise of, Dawn of, and War for the Planet of the Apes. We also look at Tim Burton's remake a little bit at the start, but we looked at that back when we did our Tim Burton episode, so we don't dwell on it too long. That's another one you might want to go back and listen to if you fancy it. While we're on the topic, you can go to our website at dimreturns.com, where there's a handy episode guide that'll help you find past episodes like that. Anyway, on with the show. FYI, this one was recorded before War for the Planet of the Apes had actually come out, so it's speculative in nature and contains no spoilers for the film whatsoever. It does, however, contain massive spoilers for Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Enjoy! It's a madhouse! <laughs> Here at Diminishing Returns this week. <laughs> Am I right, guys? That was last week's. <laughs> no, it's both. Oh, this one gets the old madhouse treatment as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah Draco. Yeah. And, and more. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, welcome to Diminishing Returns. We are, we're finishing what we started with Planet of the Apes last week. Going back to the franchise for the various reboots and and continuations of the original franchise that we discussed last week. So here we are. I am Sol, and with me as always are Calvin. Hello. Was that, that was sort impression? of a halfway impression. <laughs> Let me do that again. Calvin and Alan. Hello. Hello. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was my second hello. Hello. There you go. Hello. 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 Do you think by, like, our 500th episode we'll have doing intros down to a science? So, yes, let's pick right up where we left off last uh, last week. Because last week we talked about the five main films, and then there was also a TV show and an animated series. And then the franchise mm. sort of died down for quite some time, didn't it? A good few decades. As, as far as I understand, it was one of those things that was knocking around development hell for the whole 90s. But it was going to be like a, a sort of sequel at one point, and Roddy McDowell was going to be in it. Not necessarily the same oh, character, really? but it was going to be called huh. Return to the Planet of the Apes. And uh, oddly enough, Danny Elfman was going to compose the film score even before Tim Burton was uh, connected. And Tom Cruise was meant to be in it, then Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charlie Sheen at one point. That's what Arnie does. He, he gets attached to <laughs> Big, big projects that take 30 years to happen. James uh, Cameron's often <laughs> involved as well. Oh, well, James Cameron was involved in this. Oh, was he? <laughs> yes. He was one of the directors who it looked like it might actually have worked with him because uh, Oliver Stone was uh, being thought of at one point and Chris Oliver Columbus. Stone. Yeah, I know. Weird. Has Oliver it? Stone ever made a like commercial yeah. blockbuster film? He tried to make Alexander. Uh, what, what do you class as blockbuster, I suppose? Has he ever made something that isn't a political thriller? I'm not <laughs> You're saying that his apes wouldn't have been a political thriller? <laughs> I mean, it, it could well, well have been. 
Yeah. Do you reckon he took his development work on the Ape sequel and turned it into W, the George Bush biopic? <laughs> Nixon, surely. That would have been more uh, timing-wise. <laughs> look at Bush and then look at a chimp. <laughs> mm. No, no, you're right. Presidents are often very simian, though, aren't they? <laughs> Don't you think uh, Abe Lincoln looks a bit like a bonobo? Well, that's the end of the film. You've already ruined, you've spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> who else was uh, who else was developing it then? Tell me more. Uh, oof, God! At one point, uh, Michael Bay. Um, what? Well, okay. Well, Roland that Emmerich. Been, that would have been. I mean. They were going for blockbuster like action sort of directors at one point. I can imagine what they would have done. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um and then and then at huh. some point it just I, I don't know how Tim Burton quite got involved, but um yeah, I guess this was the, this is like the turning point for him as a director, and I don't want to go too much into it because we already did a whole other episode on Tim Burton, but we did this still available. Point. Go and go and listen yes. to our Tim Burton episode and we, we discuss Planet of the Apes and Burton's career and everything. Mm, mm, yes, exactly. Um, we, we, I mean, this is kind of the turning point where he completely moves away from original or, let's say, interesting mm. concepts and then mainly does, like, <laughs> sequels and reboots yeah. and adaptations and remakes and that sort of thing. But interestingly, he did say that, like, when he was coming into making this film, he was sort of like, he didn't want to make uh, a sequel or a remake. He wanted to revisit the idea and, you know, give it his own spin and that sort of thing. Um, his involvement is probably less interesting than the producer, Richard D. Zanuck, who we talked about okay. last week, because he is like Tim Burton's regular movie producer, or was until he died a few years ago. So he was producing all of Tim Burton's movies. Right. He was the studio executive who greenlit Planet of the Apes back in the 1960s. Oh, and okay. um, his wife at the time was uh, uh, Nova, the, the human lady from the first two Planet of the Apes films. Let's first of all let's talk about the apes, how they are realized, mm-hmm, uh, uh-huh. especially in comparison to the earlier films. Obviously, uh, technology has moved on, mm-hmm. makeup has improved. We've got a bit of CGI involved, mm-hmm, uh-huh. and but not on the characters themselves. Uh, well, you know the the talking scenes. I mean, all of yeah. that is makeup. Mm-hmm. And then uh, CG is used to remove like wires and stuff when they're hopping around. And there's obviously CG at play in the backgrounds. But the actors are in like actual real makeup, which is, I think, astonishing. Like how much they can emote and give mm-hmm. a performance through all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the, the actual makeup job itself is just fantastic. It's yeah, it's really well put together, and it has yeah, it has, <laughs> it looks like. Flesh and and <laughs> hair and all the real things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, we we praised the makeup for for its time from the um, original film uh, last week, but like this, like would hold up today. Like it's astonishingly oh, yeah. good makeup. Mm. I mean, you could make the case that it's actually more effective than like motion capture when we yeah. get there. But you know, yeah. we'll see. Definitely, definitely. And and then the movement of the apes. Uh, mm. is much more ape-like, which I really mm. liked. That was one big improvement for me. They actually, they jump around in the trees and they walk in an ape-like way, and even though they're bipedal. And, but like, as opposed to the earlier films, which were a bloke in a hairy suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something we never really touched on in those films, actually, is that they don't 
they don't really play it like apes at all. I feel like that's got to be a conscious decision on their part. Like, they must have decided... There must have been a point when an actor said, right, so I'm going to be slouching, looking at my knuckles, and mm. someone said, no, no, you're you're evolved. You're meant to be, like, evolved yeah. apes, so you, you and behave I think, as men. But that's... Yeah, but that, it works a lot better like this, because... Mm. They've got the advantage of they can run around in the trees and all that. It, like that makes sense. And yeah. uh, but also, you know, in the in the earlier films, that's okay in the in the first one. But by the fourth film, where we're supposed to be in in nineteen seventies, yeah. and it's like they're just re- re- uh, becoming a revolution. They're supposed yeah. to be proper apes. So, what about the cast? Then we got Tim Roth. We got um, Helena Bonham Carter meeting yeah. mm-hmm. Tim Burton. And, mm. uh, the start of their. Whirlwind romance. Yeah. He yeah. saw her in that little chimp face and thought. Well, that's it. Do you think. That's it. Do you think he. Uh, He's got do you think he chimps. kept some of that ape makeup for. <laughs> oh, after God. the film was done? Doesn't bear thinking about I think it does say a lot about Tim Burton, though, that Mark Wahlberg. There's a little bit of a love triangle going on. It's not especially developed, but there is this um, other human woman played by. Estelle Warren, Estella Warren, who I've never heard of before, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, see, Paul Giamatti's perfect in that role. Yeah, he's brilliant. I love him. He's my favourite thing in the film. Um, And Tim Roth, as we were talking about him, I really like Tim Roth in this. It's one of my favourite Tim Roth performances. I think Tim Roth falls into that category sometimes of being a bit just boring Tim Rothy, kind of, just the same. Mm. He's quite a good actor. I just don't... I don't see him do it that much, but in this, he's like, I guess he's got the he's got the mask on, so it just gives him a lot more freedom. The physicality's all there, the way he uses his hands and things. I mean, the character's really weirdly unnecessarily aggressive, which I guess is just the chimpanzee in him. But um, it, 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 it kind of I don't like the character. I know you're not supposed to, but it doesn't feel very real or relatable in any way. Like you can understand where he's coming from. It just seems like an over aggressive wanker. Who else is in it? Oh. I, I bet I know someone you will like in it, Calvin. Uh, what's his name? Glenn Shaddix as the big fat yeah, orangutan. Oh my god, you knew! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Burton regular Glenn Shaddix. I knew you'd like him. Uh, there is Michael Clark Duncan, who's another star. Oh, yeah, of the another film. great bit of casting that. Yes, yeah, mm. just to get a huge big bastard to play a gorilla. It makes sense. Yeah, it? with that deep voice as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really, really good. I think all the apes are very much well cast. It's the humans yeah. that are the problem. Um, so, what went uh, wrong? <laughs> story. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, first of all, right, you got this little bit of setup at the beginning, mm. where which explains how Marky Mark gets sent into space, and he's working with these chimps as this experimental astronaut thing. Well, first of all, annoyed me. He keeps referring to them as monkeys, right? Which just annoys oh, me. Yes. It's like one thing for. General people doing it, but someone who works with apes on a daily yeah. basis wouldn't do that, I don't think. Yeah. You could literally have it starting with him in a in a spaceship going, Oh no, it's going out of control, I don't know what's happening and he go, Well, we've lost we've lost contact. Hello, hello, hello and then that's it, and then he lands on something. We don't need to know why he's there or how he's got there. It's no. just a space thing that's gone wrong, isn't it? It's <laughs> just really stupid. I mean, why are these? Why is this space station using apes to like send? I mean, I know that that's obviously, you know, part of 
um, space um, exploration from the early days in like the 50s when they'd send animals up there and whatever. But surely, surely in the future they'd have like drones that they can just like send in or cameras because they basically just find what it's like a, a wormhole or something that they send this chimp into and then Wahlberg goes <laughs> off after it. And like in, in the early days of the space race as well, the reason they sent animals up there was to see if they would die. Uh, before, because if they sent a human up there and they died, it'd be bad publicity. So mm. they wanted to see how how much radiation would 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 they take on? Would they instantly like? Would zero gravity just make your brain melt or something? It's like what what we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it wasn't a good film, was it? <laughs> no. no, no. I mean, and the good uh, things about it, it, it were is... the the makeup and the yeah. sort of physicality of it that haven't got that much to do with the director, really. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so th- f- the film, it kind of misses this whole part where Mark Wahlberg lands on a planet and then we miss the bit where he goes, what the fuck, this is a planet of apes and they've got this yes. whole civilization. Like this, the, the, the first film, like that's half the film with Charlton Heston trying to come to terms with what's going on and then talking with the other, mm. the, the, the other apes and stuff. With this one, it's just like, holy shit, I'm on a planet full of apes. Right, what's my plan to get off? Hey guys, can you help me? I'm going to run over there and blow that up and you can do this. It's like it's, there's no moment of, of kind of contemplation about it all. Because Alan, he's from the future and he's seen Charlton Heston's Planet of the Apes movie, so it's not a weird idea to him. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> I see, I know what's going on here. This is Earth all along. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it in those um in those early scenes like they're rounding up all the humans and they put Mark Wahlberg in a cage and it's like watch out for that one he's feisty it's like he's not done anything he has not done anything to display <laughs> feistiness he's got a Boston accent so that ending then the new twist yes Marky Mark gets in the ship that his ape chimp came back in and uh, flies <laughs> off uh, apparently not ca- caring anymore for the People, you know the friendships, the relationships he's made over the course of this adventure. It's like, nope, first, first opportunity I can, I'm leaving. Yeah, and leaves the chimp there because it makes a unanimous decision. I'm more important than the chimp. I'm going back. He can stay here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so he goes back. He lands in, uh, you know, uh, a very uh, prominent, uh, well-known. Uh, location as you do because <laughs> like, you don't aim for like grasslands or a bit, <laughs> of, bit of waste forest land or water even no he's right by that penis statue thing in um washington and then he walks up to what we think is the lincoln memorial but in fact it is the general thade memorial uh, yes and then a load of gorillas get out of you know, 2001 looking police cars and it's like, oh god it's our world but it's all apes <laughs> so let's explain that ending, any ideas? Mm. okay, the only thing I can possibly think of is General Thade is apprehended at the end of the film in the other time zone, maybe he, he must have escaped and got back to Mark Wahlberg's crashed ship and fixed it somehow and then travelled back in time to further than what Mark Wahlberg did and maybe he was just like maybe he just like took over Abraham Lincoln's like Saul made the point earlier that presidents look kind of simian so maybe <laughs> General Thay just went back and like took Abraham Lincoln's place and no one noticed and it was just like oh okay it's him again but he like had sex with someone his wife, perhaps, who had a kid, and then they just started having sex with humans, and eventually they just all became apes. But nonetheless, <laughs> General Thade was still shot while at the theatre, uh, <laughs> in the back of the head. 
Alan, remember how Kevin Smith fell out with Tim Burton over this? Yeah. Yes. Over Planet of the Apes? Well, they, he wrote a comic book story about Jay and Silent Bob in which they do some sort of Planet of the Apes pastiche and at the end, they end up on a world like human world, but it's all apes. And one of the things they do is they go to the Lincoln Memorial and it's like a monkey, well, a chimp head on the Lincoln Memorial and he goes, oh my God, what have you done? Kind of thing. Huh. Which obviously in this comic book we're taking the piss because <laughs> uh, it's Jay and Silent Bob, uh, but yeah, it was essentially the same ending as uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Wow! And, and what did Kevin Smith get? Did he sue Tim Burton or something? He made a he made a public statement or press release, which he claims was a joke, and I, I believe was just a gat, like he was just messing around. But people took seriously where he said. Hey, what's going on? Tim Burton's ripped off my film. He's ripping off the comic book. Then Tim Burton released the statement. He said, I have not seen the image, and anybody that knows me knows I do not read comic books, and I especially wouldn't read anything that was created by Kevin Smith. (laughs) Well, they had a bit of history. They had a bit of personal beef about the Superman script and all that sort of history. So, yeah, Kevin Smith always says, ah, and that explains Batman. (laughs) His his line about <laughs> not reading comic books. Brilliant. You, you know in you know in the film it's been a while since I saw it. Next to the the uh, Lincoln statue, that's not General what's his name, is it? As Lincoln, is General it? Thade. Yeah, yeah. It says on the sign behind him, "This is dedicated to the great General Thade." Something. Uh, yeah. So in it is Thade supposed we trust or something. Because if it was just a chimp, then you go, "Okay, this is a chimp civilization." Yeah, that's it should similar. have just been a sign that said "Ape Raham Lincoln." oh my god Uh, shall we think of more president names with ape puns in them yeah Um. (laughs) I can't think of them (laughs) I can't think of a single Uh, oh right right, hang on I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a president I can put mandrill into (laughs) mandrill but 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 the, I can't think of like a famous enough president, <laughs> James Madison, James Mandrillson. But like that's, <laughs> you, you need like a, pro, a president people know. <laughs> um. Chester Ape Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, <laughs> let's leave it. Warren G. Harding, but the G stands for Gibbon. <laughs> oh my god. Oh dear. Anyway, um, the film was something of a financial success, if not a critical failure. And it took us ten years to get a reboot, a full-on proper reboot of the series with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which has a bit of an interesting history, as the script was actually not intended to be a Planet of the Apes film. When you hear the producers talking about it, they were just um, yeah. inspired by a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of reports about like that poor lady that got a face ripped off by a chimpanzee and all these chimpanzee violent acts and things. Mm-hmm. So they were just writing a film about intelligent chimpanzees, and at some point during the writing they were just like, oh, you know, we're just making Planet of the Apes, aren't we? <laughs> well, Planet of the Apes 4... Yes, it is, isn't it? That's, it's, yes, it's yes. the one where you see well, the apes this is, coming. This is it. And but, then they were like, oh, okay, then well, should we go to 20th Century Fox and see if they're interested? Yeah, right. Then And then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're interested in this. Let's let's go for it. So it was supposed to be titled Caesar initially, and then it became Caesar, Rise of the Apes, and then it became Rise of the Planet of the Apes. At the time, people were sort of like, so what, is it going to... Is it in the continuity of Tim Burton's film? Is it mm. another sequel 
for the original? Is it a new thing altogether? It was, and then it came out, and I suppose it wasn't. It was still quite confusing for the average moviegoer, I suppose. <laughs> well, it's his own thing, isn't it? It's not connected to the others in a timeline sense. It's just a remake. Well, you can watch it as a prequel to the original film with no real yes. issues, but you have to disregard mm. the sequels to the original film. Yeah. Um, which is what I do, because <laughs> because I don't really like those sequels. So, Was it sold on the fact that, hey, we can do motion capture now. So it's like a whole new thing. The, the new technology um, defends it as a, as a remake, doesn't it? It's kind of like, why should we remake this film again? Well, here's why. Mm. We can do it differently. Mm. In 20, not, 20, 2009 or whatever, when they were sort of pitching it, you say, look, here's why. Look at this motion cap. Look at this gorilla was played by Andy Serkis. Look what you can do these days. Um, and I think you sell it on that basis. Well, bear in mind as well, this wasn't exactly a huge budget thing. It was mm. made for less than $100 million. And uh, it's a relatively small yeah. sort of... It's not even a full-on action film, really. It's more of a thriller than anything else. Did, did either of you see any of the behind-the-scenes stuff of Andy Serkis and James Franco and the because no, my no, god I, I have a whole other appreciation of to what extent he like James Franco had Andy Serkis on his lap and stuff <laughs> oh yes Andy Serkis goes full like he's really like hopping around and like doing all the stuff and James Franco is just I mean, James Franco was quite vocal in saying that this was just a paid gig for him and he had no real interest <laughs> in it at all, so... After our discussion of him in Spider-Man and how he's not particularly like big on his time in those films, it seems really odd that he did this film. It's really, like, it's not mm. his usual fare at all. Um, yeah, no. And this is one of the reasons why the film had... The film had quite a negative buzz about it when it was coming out, because, like... And he was one of the reasons for it, because... Mm. He was very vocal about, I just did this for the money, I think it's a load of nonsense, really. Uh, I'm just not terribly interested. Yeah, I mean, what what do you make of this film, then? Rise Rise of the Planet of the Apes? How do you feel about really, it? I really, really, really like it. Uh, yeah. Alan? Uh, well, I won't go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was a good, solid film. I definitely had issues with it. Uh, but I think it does what it sets out to do pretty well. I'm... Probably closer to Calvin then. Yeah, I, I really love this film. I was really surprised by it when it came out, because I wasn't mm. expecting much. And, I mean, the general consensus seems to be that with this reboot franchise, they um, they they get better with each film. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is generally regarded as being a superior sequel, and all reviews so far indicate that War of the Planet of the Apes is... I should add, it's not out at the time of recording, but all the reviews suggest it is the best one yet that I've seen. Mm. Um, but mm. for me, personally, mm. I think this is much better than though, than Dawn, certainly. Um, I like Dawn, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but what I love here is the, the fact that this is a very intimate relationship drama, essentially, between this ape and his owner, and about this ape kind of finding himself and it's against a suburban backdrop and I find that far more interesting than the kind of more generic post-apocalyptic yeah. people fighting people that you get in the sequels and well I've, I've, I did like elements of it but I felt like the emotional bit with him and James Franco didn't quite sort of play out enough for me because it kind of ended with him running along a bridge and then sort hmm. of didn't I don't know it just didn't quite come together for me I mean you, you and like again, all you, the bit you before get a sense that Franco doesn't want to be there 
watching the film. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I feel like I, Andy Serkis' liked... performance and you know whatever the many animators did to uh, bring it to life, that, Caesar's performance in this film is remarkable, and mm. and the CGI in this film it holds up really well. I mean, you can always kind of tell that it's. Not There's a couple real, of moments where it's like, "Oh, that was it." But it's <laughs> really good stuff, and I think a big part of that is that all of the chimps from the start are CGI, just to kind of get you used to the idea that chimps look weird and otherworldly in yeah. this film. You never see a real chimp in the film, and I, I think that was a really smart decision on mm. that of the filmmakers. It's normally normally something I wouldn't like, and I'd call gratuitous and, and lazy, but it, it really is the right decision in this film, just to set the tone. Uh, I, I will say, that I think the film's got a really great pace, and the opening yeah. like few scenes are really like, yep, get, get, come on, so let's, let's get into it. It's so fast. I really mm. noticed that on the rewatch, just how, if anything, it almost felt too fast for me, which is something I'd almost never say. It, it felt so quick and just like punchy but but i like that because i i like it when a film really doesn't give you an opportunity to get bored with it (laughs) just constantly Mm. keeps moving along and yeah 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 and then it's just really in these opening scenes that are introduced to the human characters we have james Mm. franco and john lithgow and John Lithgow, who I, oh, I love his scenes. He plays yeah. James Franco's Alzheimer's-ridden father. Um, uh, by the way, have either of you seen Deep Blue Sea? Yes, mm-hmm. it's exactly ago. the same thing, isn't it? Like scientists <laughs> you know, experimenting on animals to cure Alzheimer's yeah, because so, of a family yeah. member. With anyway, it just. Um... But James Franco is very much the. I mean, he is the villain. Like everything that goes wrong mm. is because of him. All of his experiments wipe out humanity. And uh... true, but he's not painted as the villain, is he? No, certainly not. Instead, he he has this this boss, British boss, who like literally every single line he has mentions or references money. It's like you could change every <laughs> single line of dialogue he has to money, 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 and and you'd have the exact same character. There's no. And then at the end, you're almost meant to be like enjoying this villain's downfall when the apes. He's kick a bit. Him off he's a, a bit too likable, like, isn't he? Like the actor is. Like... But it's like, what's he done? He hasn't. He's not like. <laughs> he's not done anything particularly wrong or evil. Yeah. If they'd have listened to him at the start, the whole thing would have been shut down, and that day would have been saved. Really. <laughs> Maybe he's run a somewhat negligent facility, um, <laughs> but I don't know if that warrants death. You know. It, but that's it. Like the thing is, he shuts the the program down, and we hate him. And then later on, he insists they push forward further, and we have to hate him for that. And then when yeah. everything goes wrong, he's like, "Shit, we have to kill these fucking chimps." And then we have to hate him for that as well. It's like, you know, just do everything wrong. It's it's a very um eccentric cast. I want to say, mm. like, it's mainly character actors like Brian Cox and Tom yeah. Felton appear later on as some shelter owners, and Frida Pinto's in it bizarrely. Um, I guess that her Slumdog Millionaire glow was still going around this time, but she yeah, doesn't really do anything was. as a character. She's good, but yeah, the character doesn't go anywhere. And that, and to be honest, after after the point where the the Caesar gets put into the the prison thing. Uh, James Franco could fuck off as far as I'm concerned, and the and the, and the <laughs> yeah. girl because they don't add anything after that. Well, he basically and, does. Uh, yeah. a, 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 the mo- from the moment, yeah, you get the moment where Caesar sort of officially kind of rejects him because he's accepted his new life as the daddy of the prison, and then we switch to a completely different film, which was actually the bit I liked was the prison movie, like Caesar oh, yeah, in prison. That, that whole that. section, I loved that bit. 
And then after they escaped, again, I was kind of a bit not interested. But mm-hmm. that prison bit was, that should have been the film for me. That was what I, what I really, really dug about this whole thing. See, I, I love mm. the prison bit and the stuff at the start where it's like about yeah. a guy looking after an ape. And I'll, I'll admit that I do kind of switch off a bit at the end when it just becomes a full-blown action extravaganza. But even then, I it's... I like it all! I was going to say, even then, it's a very well-made action extravaganza. I do enjoy it. It's just kind of it's not quite as tightly paced for me at the end. It's not quite as good. And, and there are some very cheesy moments, like when Caesar and the orangutan and a, a gorilla are like on the top of a, a San Francisco trolley, like going over the hill. They just <laughs> like stood there scene. posing and looking like over at the yeah, golden posing Gate for the poster. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really is just, and the music's building, and it's like, oh, I, I kind of love it though. It is cheesy, but I I like it. What about the horrendous references to the original film? Oh, it's really, uh, yeah, it's really bad. I can only assume that these references were in there before they decided to call it Rise of the Planet of the Apes because they just wanted to make it absolutely perfectly clear that this is, you know, a Planet of the Apes film, even though that might not have been in the title. Malfoy gets the it's a madhouse and a get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. There's basically no justification for that. That's a, The problem with this film, and this is true of most of these big blockbusters when they crowbar in a, a famous line of dialogue, is that there's barely any real justification. You don't believe that that character would say that line at that point. <laughs> It, it just feels mm. very the is the, artificial. And the idea the, that he um, just turns around and goes, it's a madhouse! <laughs> I, I can kind of so go bad. with that to an extent because the chimps are all going mad and he's like, yeah, it's a madhouse. If I, I, I could give you that one. But when you go to the lens of Take your stinking paws off God. me, you damn dirty ape. It's just too much, it's too yeah. long, it's too so distinctive of that film. It's, uh, yeah, it's... I don't think this ever made it through to a cut, but, uh, you know at the end when the James Franco's boss is, like, teetering on the edge in that busted-up helicopter and he's on yes. the edge of the bridge and it's like... In the theatrical cut, Caesar, like, walks away and Cobra, who is a nasty bonobo, comes in and d- does the deed and mm. kicks the helicopter off the deck. Um, Caesar does it in the other version but I think from what I understand the studio were very uneasy about you know we well, want the audience to really like this guy because sequels are going to depend on them liking him well, so that, that ties into a note I've made really which is it, it's such an odd film to watch at the end because you really don't know who not only who to root for but who the film wants you to be rooting for you just kind of feel like you're watching this downfall of society as a neutral observer which is something you just don't mm. get in films, really, ever. Mm. You're almost always rooting for the humans, or occasionally you're rooting for the things that aren't humans because they've kind of subverted expectations and what have you. And in this film, it's just very, like, I don't know, am I rooting for this guy? Am I meant to be rooting for this guy or that guy? I don't know what mm. the film wants me to do. It's it's odd. Mm. Revolution is a sort of murky moral area, though, you see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm not so, I'm, you know, I like the fact that the film feels so kind of weird in that respect. I do want to ask you one thing, Sol, as someone who saw this film in the cinema, just while we were talking about the ending. Um, there are two key moments of the film when Caesar talks. So uh, Malfoy is giving him shit, and uh, Caesar barks back, no! And there's a very deliberate, like, long, dramatic pause and absolute silence. Yes. And I'm just curious, did people 
you know, giggle a little bit in the cinema when that <laughs> happened? Or were they mm-hmm. with it? Because I was like, watching it myself, I was sort of like, I found myself smirking because it is such a hammy moment. But at the same time, the film is so good that I, 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 I go with it. I don't, you know, dislike it. But I could imagine people giggling. I don't remember anyone giggling or anything. Um, I remember when that moment happened, and I might be misremembering, but my memory is that that happened and I got goosebumps, (laughs) because it, like, like, not because I love the moment or anything, but because it just threw me. Mm. Like, it caught me so off guard. Mm. Yeah, you aren't really expecting it. Yeah, and I I remember just being like, I, I really didn't like it as well, I should add. When I first watched it, I was like, wait, come on, what the fuck? But it, it really did throw me. So, I mean, it's possible there were giggles and I was just so into the film and like, <laughs> not, you know, in my own world that I didn't even notice. But I don't, I think most people were just very thrown like I was. And I, I spoke to people around then who were fine with it and went with it. And I, I remember really not liking him speaking later on in the film as well when he, he spoke again. And I don't really know why. Re- rewatching it, it doesn't bother me nearly as much. At the time when I was watching it, it just seemed a bit too far. For the first, liking. the first time he speaks, I was thinking this when I was watching it again. The first time he speaks is just after he's gassed all the other chimps and made them sort of super chimps, or, mm. or all the other apes, in fact. And so they've all sort of get. So he's just got a double dose of this gas. So maybe it sort of pushed him a yeah. little bit further. And because he's learned to speak, he's been learning to speak all his life with humans, but he's just never yeah. been able to uh, form it. And you know, I'm, I'm go with it to a certain extent. Shall shall we talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes then, uh, which, which almost doubled the budget of the previous one, um, true post-apocalyptic uh, world now, hu- most humans have been wiped out and the Caesar is living with his intelligent apes who can all sign and some can mm. talk. I, I don't quite remember, but my, my understanding is the director of Rise of the Planet of the Apes was going to return initially and... Mm. Partway through pre-production, he left from, you know, creative differences and what have you, and they brought in Matt Reeves to uh, direct the film. I'm just reading now, yeah, uh, apparently there were concerns with the release date, and uh, Rupert Wyatt is the director of the first film, and he was like, yeah, there's no way I can make that date, so they hired Matt Reeves instead, who is now... Well, he seems to be Hollywood's go-to fixer for troubled productions now. yeah. After Batman as well, who's been hired to do that for DC, mm. Mm. after Ben Affleck walked from the director's chair. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'd certainly say we got a very, very good sequel. Um, yeah. Matt Reeves, he did a great job. It, it really does go off in a different direction. It's very different to the the film that came beforehand, and it continues the the kind of franchise tradition i suppose of just doing something completely different with each film mm, um, yeah, yeah something that i can't quite see being true for the new film coming out mm. um everything i've seen from that would indicate it's just going to be more of what we had in mm. this one dawn of the planet of the apes but yeah i mean it's, it's just a very good film if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um, Action. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. But but, but it, it, it goes beyond that. Like, there's you know, deeper themes at play. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the point. Do you do you guys think they ever will catch up with the original Planet of the Apes film? Or do you think they're smart enough to know better? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll go there again. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing something very similar 
but it's kind of a new story with the same plot elements. But to be honest, I, I don't think they'll go there. I, I can't see them. Yeah, I, I think the they're on to a good thing with this whole, I think, yeah. Even this is uh, very much, um, it's like a remake of the second part of Conquest of the Planet yeah. of the Apes. And we talked about in our previous episode about how elements of that film weren't developed quite enough for our yeah. liking. And here we have, like, two whole films about it, really. And the, these are great examples of, um, I mean, it's what people always say, you shouldn't remake the classics, you shouldn't remake good films, you should dig out the shit films that didn't quite get it right but had some nice ideas and remake those and it Mm. sadly rarely works like that but that kind of does seem to be kind of what we've got in this franchise at the minute they're they're mining this mythology for the good ideas and just doing a really good job of of bringing it to life Mm. in a Mm. way that i imagine was kind of how the original filmmakers saw it in their their heads. Mm. Um, well, I'm getting the impression that I didn't like this film as much as you guys. Oh, not surprised at all. Not that I disliked it particularly, but it just went more into that kind of just action, which I'm not interested in. There's a big battle at the end, but there were definitely elements that I like. And generally, it's sort of like on the just on the good end of middle of the road kind of for me. So, like, well, for example, Gary Oldman just completely wasted. Didn't really get enough of him in there. If you're gonna have Gary Oldman. Get him do something. I thought he was fine. Yeah, I I, I liked him in that part. Um, I, but I never liked the character either. It's, it's just like the whole... It, it did frustrate me watching it. And that's not because it was bad filmmaking. It's because it was quite accurate, if anything. This kind of like people trying and apes trying to kind of come together peacefully, but small elements kind of disrupting it and, yeah, and misunderstandings creating like different things. And it, so it, it gave me quite a negative, frustrated feeling, but that is not kind of the film's fault. In fact, it's the whole point of it. <laughs> well, I really like that because there are some scenes, yeah. there's like a scene where they're, um, the humans and the apes are sort of by the side of a lake and they're sort of getting on and then one of the humans is smuggled in a, a, a shotgun which was not part of the agreement and then mm. there's a really tense moment where you think this little truce could break down right now. Like it's, you, you never quite know, you know the mm. shit is going to hit the fan at some point, you just don't quite know when and, and, and I like that a lot about it because you do just kind of want them all to get on and yeah. You get along with their lives, but they don't. Yeah. I really like it. I think it's great. I think even the action sequences at the end, are, like when Cobra is like on a horse with machine guns, Ooh. like leaping <laughs> through flames. It's such a terrifying image. And then, uh, oh, that whole seat, that whole shot when he's, um, there's a tank and this ape like jumps on top of it and like bashes in the guy's head who's like uh, shooting the gun. It's all one take, just like static you know on the head of the tank and it's just moving around and at one point the ape gets in the tank and starts firing and then he uh, barges down the door of the the human settlement it's just such an amazing shot and it's really really well done well um that's probably a good jumping off point to pitch our own ideas for the sequel before Mm. we do that Mm. i have um prepared a little game for us to okay to play it's ape related Mm. all right okay so the game is I'm going to tell you actors, famous actors and people. Uh, You have to tell me if they have made a movie about them and an ape hanging out, or if they haven't. I think... This is inspired by James Franco in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It's sort of its own subgenre. There's a whole load of these films where a guy hangs out with an ape. (laughs) And uh, I want you to tell me if these people are are ape or nay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Ape or not ape? Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley. Ape or nay? Ape. Um, Alan? I can't think of anything specific. That's why I'm sure he did it. So I'll say no. <laughs> nay. <laughs> nay. That is a point for Calvin. Uh, Sir Ben Kingsley starred in a Brazilian film called The Fifth Monkey, which <laughs> is a downright bizarre sounding film about a guy who comes across four chimps and sees it as a sign from God because they're not native to uh, Brazil and tries to sell them, but then he can't like figure out a way to get them from one place to another without kind of trying to lure them with fruit and stuff. It sounds really weird. Hmm. Uh, okay, next one. Gérard Depardieu. Oh, yes. <sighs> yeah, again, I can't, I don't know of anything specific, but it seems so obvious. <laughs> so, Is that I'll, ape I'll, or nay? I'll go, yeah, I think I've got to go ape. Uh, correct to both of you, yeah. Uh, Gérard Depardieu starred in Bye Bye Monkey. Uh, <laughs> it's about a man who finds a baby chimp inside a giant King Kong prop and uh, decides to raise it as if it were his own son. <laughs> okay. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. Christian Slater. Oh, um, I'm, I'm going to say yes again. I feel like there's going to be something. Okay, I'll, I'll say no then. I'll go with a no. Nay. Uh, this is a point for Alan this time. That is um, nay. Christian Slater has never made an ape movie, although he um, does seem like the type. Um, <laughs> now, John Travolta. Oh, he must have. Yeah, that rings a bell. Um, I'll say yes. Like, him and a monkey is detective is, and <laughs> sidekick or something. <laughs> um, somewhat surprisingly, John Travolta has never made a, an ape movie. Oh, he has starred in uh, Look Who's Talking, the series about a talking baby. <laughs> yes. mm. um, okay, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Hail uh, to the I'm chimp! Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say no, actually. <laughs> yes! <laughs> ape! <laughs> no! Uh, yes, Ronald Reagan starred uh... in Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> Um, oh dear! Which is about a psychology professor trying to teach human morals to a chimp in an attempt to solve the question of nature versus nurture. <laughs> I assume it was before he became president. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, Emily Deschanel, that's Zoe's sister. Ooh, I'm um, gonna say yes, cause why else would you have picked her out? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go ape. <laughs> Uh, no, Emily Deschanel has not. Um, um, she's not even a big enough star for that. <laughs> I didn't even know she existed, so... Okay, Matthew Modine. Mm. I'd say yes. I can't. Yeah. I don't know what it would be. Was, but I was he in Mighty Joe Young? He might have been, but the film I've got uh. here is 2004's Funky Monkey. <laughs> Oh, hmm. A family film about a spy who has to team up with a chimp to save the day. Uh, great. <laughs> okay. Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, ape! Ape! <laughs> yeah. Ape, yes. Ape. A baseball playing ape. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to drop that one on us. <laughs> he starred in 1996's Ed, and yes, it is about a chimp that plays baseball. <laughs> uh, have either of you seen that film? No, I've I haven't actually. I've not seen the whole film, no. It is... 
absolutely atrocious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought, I watched it thinking, how bad can Joey and a chimp, like, really <laughs> be? And the answer is surprisingly very, very good. <laughs> Bill Murray. I want to say no. <sighs> He's done one with an elephant, but not a chimp. Not a... You're both correct. He's not done a chimp <laughs> film. Uh, I was mm. hoping that Larger Than Life, the film where he inherits an elephant, might throw <laughs> Chevy Chase? Oh, yes. Yeah, you'd think he must have at some point. Um, uh, surprisingly, no. Oh. Chevy Chase has never been oh. on that. Elizabeth Shue? Oh, oh yes. Mighty Joe Young. Uh, Is she in Mighty Joe Young? Oh, I don't know. I, who the fuck is in Mighty Joe Young? There's someone in Mighty Joe Young. But I'm, I'm still going to say yes. Um, I'll say no then. Uh, yes is the <laughs> correct answer. She was in a film called Link, a 1986 British horror film about a super intelligent, malicious orangutan who mm. uh, lashes out when his masters try to have him euthanized. Okay, Thora Birch. No. I don't know her in two things. Um, no. She starred in 1994's Monkey Trouble. Okay, Charlotte Rampling. <laughs> Yes. I, 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 and I'm she gonna... shags it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no. Uh, no, Alan is absolutely correct. Uh, ah. She does shag a chimp in a film. Oh. <laughs> does she shag it or does she just fall in love with it? I've never seen the film. What film it's is called it? Max Mia Moore. Cuba Gooding Jr. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid the answer is no. Oh. I've chosen well here, haven't I? It's a very good, <laughs> like, false actor's. Matthew Broderick. Yes. It's probably one of Inspector Gadget. Uh, yeah. Yes, he has. He starred in 1987's Project X, which uh. is about a US Air Force airman who's um, assigned to care for a chimp that's being used in an Air Force project. Uh. Uh, Calvin, you'll like this one. Charlize Theron. Uh-oh. Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> oh, yes, it is! <laughs> Is that yes. right? Charlize Theron starred in the 1998 remake of Mighty Joe. <laughs> Yay! I knew I'd get it eventually. All right, Alan wins the the, uh, the ape, so that means that Alan, you are you are king of the apes. You are Caesar. <laughs> oh dear, you're Cobra. <laughs> okay, so right, moving on. Should we should we do some sequels? Yeah, um, let's. I had a, I had a, I had an idea that didn't go anywhere. It was a title. Uh, oh no, mine's plan- only a title. <laughs> Planet of the Snapes. <laughs> of the snakes. Snapes. <laughs> the Draco <Snape>. comeback. <laughs> yeah, as in Sirius or whatever his name is. Severus. I can't believe you brought this up. You know that Tim Roth was supposed to play Snape in Harry Potter, but he couldn't yeah. because he was committed to Tim Burton's uh, no, Planet of the Apes. Oh, I just wanted a lot of actors playing computer-generated versions of Alan Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to fight for their rights to be Alan Rickman. Oh, <laughs> well, of course, Jeremy Irons is the ultimate Alan Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> who would who would be the human on the planet of the Alan Rickmans? Chris, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Christoph Waltz's version of Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty snakes. Uh, yeah, I, I I basically got a title that I adapted into a film, just like last week. So, in Gaul, Asterix uh, is, is knocking around, and he, he sees his friend Obelix 
uh, <laughs> acting strangely, and and the, the chief's niece has, has turned up, Pan Panechia. I don't know if I'm saying that rightly, and uh, <laughs> Druid Getafix deducts that um, Obelix must fancy her. So Asterix suggests that he goes to pick some flowers to give to her. And uh, he does that, and just as he's going to give her this lovely bouquet, she is reunited with uh, Tragicomics, a, a handsome young man that had left and has returned. And uh, the chief reveals that they'll they'll be marrying each other soon, so Obelix is heartbroken. The two lovers go off into the woods, and then they're ambushed by a group of apes led by uh, a fresh ape soldier looking to make a good impression on uh, his centurion. Then when he, he brings the, the the kidnapped humans back to camp, the centurion is, is furious and berates him and panics and orders to uh to to take the two captives to the farthest outpost in the Empire, which is situated in the situated in the Sahara before the Gauls realise what's happened, because basically the Gauls they've got this magic potion and they they beat up the apes all the time. So it's this one human stronghold where the, the apes just haven't been able to, to take over. Then the Gauls find out and they, they trash the ape camp and go looking for them and they end up going on a rescue mission to the Sahara. But they get in trouble along the way, the two captives on the way to the Sahara, and they are stranded in the desert before being captured by slave traders who find them and, and bring them to the big ape city where they're sold to be used as part of Caesar's grand show. <laughs> um, then when presented before Caesar, Tragicomics refuses to bow and, and speaks out against him and, and uh, Caesar decides that the two of them will be thrown to the lions instead. No, not lions. They're, they're extinct. Um, they're going to be thrown to the big angry gorilla <laughs> instead as part of the big gorilla show in the Colosseum. <laughs> um, and then Asterix and Obelix, uh, they're, they're tracing them and they find their way to the ape city following their, their movements. They end up um, posing as gladiators for the big show. They make a right mess of it. They win the chariot race. They beat up all the prize gladiator apes. And Caesar unleashes the, the big gorilla on them, which is meant to be a, a death sentence. And obviously they, they beat it because they've got a magic potion. And they they have this big action fight scene. And Caesar is so impressed with their might, he, he grants them their freedom. And they return to the village and have a feast. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Asterix versus Caesar. <laughs> is this entire uh, Asterix connection just based on the name Caesar as the leader of the Romans, and and on the the French origin of the source material? I'm sure. Oh, of course, yes. No, I didn't. I didn't put that much thought into it, Calvin. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Shall I go with mine then? My yeah, pitch. Go on, then. Oh. Yes. Okay, Calvin. So I'm going to do a sequel TV series to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. (laughs) So we pick up right from the end of the film, where Marky Mark is being held in a detention centre and being questioned by his ape captives. Um, Let me get there. Uh, (laughs) He... He eventually escapes, and there's a chase around Washington where he ends up in a museum, and he learns that history to this point in 2001 has been exactly the same as it was on Earth when he was there, but with apes instead of humans. Oh, so he finds the Frasier DVD box set and settles in to watch it, (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's, it's monkey Frasier. (laughs) Yeah, Kelsey Grammer's an orangutan. uh, Yeah, um... 
So anyway, he, he he's like horrified by this, and he this is all the first episode, by the way. He must get back to his own time and universe, so he regains access to his space pod thing and travels back through the wormhole from which he came, back to the Planet of the Apes, actually, so he can pick up Helena Bonham Carter, that human woman, the human child, and the um, foursome all band together to work to get Marky Mark back home. Um, Paul Giamatti's character can stow away or something, or um, end up on the ship by accident, because <laughs> we want him along for the journey as well. And what follows is really... Um, Lost in Space meets Star Trek. They'd go to several different planets and each episode would be on a new planet and uh, they have adventures and stuff. So, um, for example, there is actually a planet of the elephants where they (laughs) help the elephants with their mice problem or maybe help the mice with their elephant problem. Who knows? Um, There's a planet of the snakes. Uh, There's a planet of the fridge freezers. (laughs) <laughs> it's basically whatever we want um, and if we if, for, for guest star episodes we can have uh, Planet of the Tom Cruises or uh, Planet of the Mackenzie Crooks and so Dep- on. depending on budget <laughs> yeah. yeah we've got two ends of the spectrum there uh, uh, and and basically we we never end conclusively much like the original Planet of the Apes TV series because we just want to keep on going forever uh, until the show becomes unprofitable Yes. Well, there we go Alan, then. Alan, let, let's let let's see. Alan's going. Oh, I do... thought Al- Alan already had his, didn't he? No. Oh, what was Planet of the Snapes about? That was just a throwaway <laughs> con- uh, title concept that I didn't do oh. anything with. <laughs> oh, okay then. <laughs> Uh, I no, thought that I've was a great idea. I don't think anything's going to come as close <laughs> to that um, in the history of the show. Alan's real thing won't be as good. I'm going to stop definitely. trying to. Uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah, no, that's, that's apparently all you need to do. <laughs> my my idea does go with uh, no humans. I'm not interested in the humans. As last mm. week, uh, it's, that's the boring element. Ape society, that's what I'm interested in. An analogy for ourselves. So my pitch takes place with the ape civilization. It's, political, it's like political running season, whatever they call it. <laughs> and the hot topic is abortion is it right or wrong <laughs> the apes are hotly debating abortion they want, they want to build a wall between them and the humans <laughs> yeah. and, and that's it though it's just it's about a, it's about an ape congress congressman and he has to come down either side on this divisive issue of abortion and, and that's that's alan's pitch uh, well that's the sequel to my pitch actually what well, my pitch is um okay. Okay, so we've got the the apes, they go back, they're away from humans, they rebuild their society, they continue living in peace in this chimp-dominated society. There's the rub. So, this chimp-dominated society. My film will focus on the civil rights movement of the gorillas as they try to improve their social standing in the ape civilization. So, this is a society, it's built around physical aggression and dominance, the alpha male, that, that's how they demonstrate leadership. As we've seen in this film, in the first film, the gorillas are bigger than the chimps, but they're generally more docile. They're really regarded as these big lummoxes. They're kind of the 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 chimpanzees don't respect them. They're kind of the manual laborers. Yeah, <laughs> they're right. They're right, old chimpanzees. <laughs> Chimpanzee. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and the orangutans, they're also separated from the chimps, but they're kind of a bit more respected, they're kind of more intellectual part of the society, so they're kind of happy with what they're doing. But So after years of being corralled into these manual labour jobs, uh, one of the gorillas starts a union. And, uh, <laughs> now the chimps, they sense something brewing, it's, uh, you know, trouble on the, on the horizon, they try and suppress the gorillas. But this only uh, strengthens the resolve of, of, of the whole gorilla community, and they back mm. this one particular gorilla, we're going to call him Jimmy. Jimmy the gorilla. Um, now, part of the problem here is <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. 
<laughs> just that sounds like a character in a in a Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Take this bag and hand it to Jimmy the Gorilla. Questions <laughs> <laughs> asked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so the the main problem here in ape society is that the, the community's growing too large, you know. Uh, these small communi- communist ideals that they live on are kind of only work within a small community. There is peace, but they've, they've got no common any, enemy to bind them. Now the humans aren't an issue. And so they're obviously, you know, eventually they're going to start uh, settling into um, uh, fighting against each other. You need something to distract the uh, masses uh, from the misery of their lives. So... Mm, no. Can't they just play football? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. If you let them fight at the football every week, they'll, they'll get it out of the system. <laughs> so the gorillas, they're getting uppity. They're starting to talk about things like socialism, democracy. Uh, the chimpanzees are not particularly idea about this, uh, particularly happy about this. So our plucky hero, Jimmy, the gorilla, they go on strike uh, <laughs> in the hope of leveraging uh, better wages more bananas. Um, they ultimately succeed. The chimps have to relent and this rises our hero's status. So this is the beginning of the film where we sort of seeing, you know, his where he's coming from. Years pass by. Uh, Jimmy is now the head of the biggest guerrilla union in the whole of ape land. Uh, he now starts getting aspirations of political power. Mm. Uh, he wants he wants to stand for election. To against be- against uh, Mar Grape Thatcher. Do you get it? You've been, See what I did you've been working on that one for the last hour and a half. Oh, I was thinking about it ever since you started your pitch. I was like, what can I... Up against ape Raham Lincoln. Uh, no. <laughs> well, he just wants to stand for election to whatever the ape parliament is. Now, the ape parliament is dominated by chimps as a handful of orangutans. Uh... Mate. Oh, um... yes. Brilliant. That's not brilliant. <laughs> no gorilla has ever attempted to be part of the political process before uh, because they just they regard they're too stupid. You know, everyone thinks they're they're simple. This battle for power it's the main thrust of the film. This is our major sort of central storyline. Jimmy has to play the game a little bit in order to have any chance. He strikes a deal with uh, some orangutans who they'll sort of secretly support his campaign they'll whisper in the right ears make sure things can happen and they've got just enough power to stop the chimps having total control uh the chimps you know they they threaten jimmy they threaten his family and all that sort of thing usual sort of shenanigans but he stands resilient he's uh he's standing tall for the gorillas and then of course there is infighting amongst the gorilla community as well now they all appreciate the benefits that jimmy has brought them over the years but Many of them do believe that they are inferior species. The chimps have an, a more natural inclination towards leadership that makes them better politicians. They should be the ones making the decisions. And of course, there's the usual backbiting and things that go on in any power struggle. So one of his main advisors here could discover that he's been doing like under the table deals with the orangutans and there's been bongs and he's been siphoning off money for use as bribes and all that sort of stuff, which Stab. we see. Yeah. Well, now we see from Jimmy's point of view, he's just having to play the game enough to get involved. You know, you got to get to the table before you can start making any changes, but they, they see this as a sort of a, a betrayal. And so all the legal arguments that the chimps are trying to put in for stopping from running, they kind of, they've been defeated. The chimps have to accept that he's allowed to stand. So they need to start moving to more nefarious means to stop him. Um, so they get a female chimp to accuse Jimmy of rape. Uh, he's, he's immediately arrested. He's thrown in jail. Now he's soon released on bail and uh, the accusation, it casts a shadow on his reputation, uh, even though 
you know, there's no, there's no truth to it. You know, it can't really come to anything and it's, it's going to be all blow over, but you know, if they just do it at the right time that it just affects his reputation. And so, you know, he, he starts drinking. He's, uh, hits the skids a little bit. He gets, he gets arrested on a domestic dispute charge after he throws a chair through his front window in a fit of anger. The other gorillas decide he's become too much of a liability. They, they decide to throw him out, and at the last minute they replace him with with another gorilla. But he's just a small-minded lackey. He's been opposing Jimmy all the way, but he he doesn't he hasn't got the charisma, he hasn't got the leadership skills that that Jimmy has. So obviously, when they run for political office, there's no chance. He just he can't he can't stand up in debate. He can't uh, answer the questions well. He just fails to achieve anything. Jimmy, you know he falls out of public life, starts drinking more and more to numb the pain. One day he doesn't come home, his wife reports him missing. About a week later they find his body in a ditch. His neck is broken but it can't be determined if the injuries were inflicted deliberately or was it a result of an accident, a drunken stumble. That's the end of the film. There are no statues to Jimmy the Gorilla. There are no blue plaques commemorating the part he played in the the early days of ape equality and uh, the Gorilla rights movement. Harold McGibbon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's what you were—that's what you were thinking about. (laughs) Neanderthalville Chamberlain. Thus closes out our two Planet of the Apes episodes. Since recording this, I have seen War for the Planet of the Apes. I, I don't know about Calvin and Allen, but I, I, uh, I really, 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 really liked it. It's, it's fantastic. I'll save my full thoughts for our inevitable next review of the year episode. But in the meantime, it's, it's kind of like that prison movie sequence that Alan and I both liked so much in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But for most of the film. I was expecting a war movie done with apes, I was not expecting a prisoner of war movie done with apes. It's like Bridge on the River Kwai, but with apes. Uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Probably my favourite of the three, and a solid contender for my favourite film of the year so far, in fact. So, if you're on the fence about seeing it, despite the glowing reviews all around, not just from me, do make the effort. It's, it's great. Oh, and come back next week! We've got a weird episode planned, really. Quite an odd one. So, yeah, you'll want to check back and see what that's all about. Have a good week. Bye!